All right. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are exploring the landscape of learning technology while cutting through the fluff to answer the questions you need answered to make the right decisions while building your digital learning ecosystem. Today, I'm joined by Tim Dickinson from Watershed, and we are talking about learning measurement and the LRS. So are you amped up? Are you pumped now with the music, Tim? Yes, extremely. <laughs> it makes it so much easier, right? Because you just you just want to get into it. So the first question, right? We've, we've got these fun questions to kind of kick things off as we get going. And we, we brainstormed in the back. Tim has not shared it with me. So I am very excited about his answer. But my question to you is, what is your favorite beer and why? So um, this will be a multi-part answer uh, because I, it it changes with the season. So I, I've officially transitioned into Guinness season, as a matter of fact. And I, I was fortunate enough to just have a work trip a couple of weeks ago to Dublin. So it was a perfect segue. Now that it's it's going to be cold for the next few months, uh, I will pretty much exclusively be enjoying Guinness. Okay. Um, so that, yeah, that that that's my favorite, my go-to for for the rest of winter before the I- rest uh, of winter, a thick, yeah. hearty beer. Yes. And then, uh, and then, you know, a great, uh, Pilsner or lager when it warms up again, I really like, um, Land Lakes Pilsner, uh, okay. which you might be familiar with. Okay. Uh, do I, you know I, that yeah, one? It's Midwest. All right. So I've heard, oh, yeah. you know, I've heard of it. I haven't, I don't know that I've had that one yet. Okay. That, that, okay. That's one of my favorites. It's just, uh, it's just really tasty. It's a, it's now, a great when, you travel, when it's warm out. It up? Right. Do you try when you, oh, try, yeah. you shake it up, try local beers, craft beers, things like that? Or are you like, nope, it's the season. I'm drinking Guinness. Um, it depends. Okay. Uh, it, it, if the craft selection looks like it's something that is, is something I haven't had before and it excites me, I, I'll, I enjoy digging in. Um, but there's also been many a times where I, you know, when it's, when it's winter and it's cold outside, uh, I try a new stout and it's tasty. It's good. But when I'm finishing okay. it, I think to myself, you know, I wish that were a Guinness. <laughs> okay. Okay. Have you ever had one that you've tried? And I know this has nothing to do with learning tech, but that's fine. Have you ever had one that you've tried and you've said, you know what, I can't even finish it? Or is it more of like, a, I'll finish it, but I won't order it again? You know what? The very first sour I ever had, I only drank half of it. Really? Because I just don't think I understood what I was drinking at first, you know, uh, several years back, the first time I ever had one. Uh, and now that 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 is, wouldn't happen again. No, I love them. You know, when it's <laughs> when it's sunny outside and it's warm, I, I love a good, you know, kind of kind of sour beer. But the first time I ever had one, I was just like, I, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand what's happening. I don't Not like this. this. And then it and then it grew on me. OK, OK. The acquired taste kicked in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay. Well, that is that is a perfectly natural transition. Perfectly natural transition yes. to what we're here to talk about today, which, which is the whole right measurement of learning, the whole LRS thing. So coming from Watershed, you know, one of the things that I know someone had shared with me, uh, Chris Rainey had actually shared with me, he goes, you know, sometimes you jump into this because you know what this stuff is. And everybody's kind of like, wait, what are we talking about? So let's talk about the LRS what how do you describe to people when people say hey what is an lrs how does watershed describe that yeah so at its core the simplest definition of an lrs is just a place to store learning data i can okay. you know we can certainly go beyond that 
but the simplest definition of it is it's a place to store learning data. So likely that means learning data from more than one system, for instance. Okay. Um, and it, it stores that data in a particular format that is based on an industry specification. So the idea is to be consistent with how we describe learning experiences, regardless of, of how or where they happen. Um, so that's where, you know, the, the acronym stands for learning record store. That's, that's really, we can do all sorts of things after that or on top of that. Uh, but at its most basic definition, that is what an LRS is. Okay. Got it. So, so one natural question that comes to mind, um, and was one, you know, I think that that had come to mind for me too, initially was, I mean, a lot of platforms have these storage capacities, right? They, they have this mm -hmm. stuff. So if somebody's saying, well, okay, so you store learning records, we're storing learning records today. Why add another layer to that? And, and that's, I guess, kind of the problem statement of what problem did Watershed see that they said, we can do better and we can help fix this gap? Yeah, so that that's a really good question too. So um, from kind of a standards and specification point of view, you know, interoperability becomes really important because so many organizations do have, you know, a, maybe a primary way of providing learning within their organization, whether that's, a, you know, normally that's like a learning management system, maybe now it's a learning experience platform, but realistically, there are so many learning experiences that happen outside of those tools. Yeah. And it was a real problem to try to understand a, a holistic picture of everything that's happening from a learning perspective at the organizational level, um, because collecting data from those different tools requires you to really manually define each time, you know, how, how can I aggregate this data in a common format? It, it's, it's a problem that it's not unique to learning, but there is an opportunity to make it more consistent with how we describe data across all of these platforms to have, you know, kind of a, a place to store consistently all of the information about what people have learned, whether it's happening in your learning management system or a SharePoint site or a custom built mobile app or any different types of, of modalities or experiences that you can have. So, you know, when we think of the, the specifications or standards that define an industry, the one that e-learning has been relying on and has, has served it has served the industry well for 20-ish years, 20 plus years is SCORM. You know, okay. you you yep. create a course, you download a SCORM package, and you now have an assurance that that's going to work in your learning management system, regardless of who the vendor is, because uh, because it's, it's using that SCORM model. It's a universal language, exactly. That works really great for that e-learning course. But as evidenced by the fact that we are having this conversation, there's a yeah. lot of different ways in which you consume information, learn new information beyond e-learning courses. And SCORM just doesn't really compute in terms of a, a standard or a specification to enable that, to track that, to understand what's happening. So, you know, sometimes I compare it to um, trying to provide a Netflix-like experience, but being confined by VHS as an industry standard and specification. It, it that because that's that's the legitimate time frame we're working on when we look yeah. at oh, the, the first generation of SCORM. Right. Uh, it was in a VHS world, and now we are in a totally different digital environment. Uh, and so that shift, that change, is really part of what um, 
XAPI as a specification tries to enable is to provide a lot of, of a, a mix of variety and consistency with how we talk about learning experiences, how the data behind those learning experiences um, is created and stored for, for different organizations and people. Yeah. So, so on that, right, you, you talked about the whole capturing, and this is a, this is a trend we're hearing more about is capturing where the learning's happening outside of the traditional, oh, we have an LMS. And so we're tracking that, but there's learning happening everywhere. But I can tell you right now, there have been times I've gotten pushback on that with the whole, why do we care? Why as an organization, should we care what's happening outside of that? And that's a challenge, right? Sometimes getting mm -hmm. people to get on board with, well, it does tell an important story, but how have you, you know, are, do you run into that? And two, what is, you know, how do you help people understand that it does matter what else is happening other than the records in your LMS? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's definitely a, a big element of, and I mean, maybe I'll just, I'll just kind of tell an, an anecdotal story here where if okay. we think about skill sets that are in big demand really across industry, you know, data scientists is always kind of the, the, the flavor of the year in terms yeah. of, of yeah. the, you know, the, the it's skill, a good buzz role to pick right now, right? It's a good buzz role to pick. And because there's a skill set shortage and there's high demand in that area, um, if you're trying to understand how someone is improving their skills, maybe internally, trying to advance from a business analyst to a, to a data scientist, um, how confident are you that they are developing that skill set and, and learning what they need to learn to advance to that next level uh, solely within your learning management system? Right. Because when I, you know, when you think of the the practical ways in which you develop those skills and the different sources of information that are all over different providers, different places on the internet that that help to build that skill set, um, it's just in that sense, it's not enough of a picture to, in, in my opinion, to really kind of provide that full view of of what people are learning and how they're developing themselves, um, and then. You know, if I if I think of other reasons why it matters, you know, it's, there's there's so much that goes into people development nowadays. It's it's you know it's part of the reason people analytics is so popular right now because yeah. so many large organizations don't even manufacture physical products anymore. The the asset is is the people and their unique differentiators are the internal knowledge that people have about specific ways that organization operates. And if you can understand more about where that knowledge come, comes from, where it's stored, how they're working to create new knowledge, that really helps you know, provide a, an opportunity to continue growth and to be a catalyst within the organization for more growth as opposed to just caring about, and, and, and I'll go back to, I, I think, I would I would argue, and I think a lot of people would agree. Hopefully, that all of that doesn't just happen in a single system. Yeah, there well, there I is a need there is a need for that uh, that view across experiences across digital platforms um, to really get an understanding of of the internal knowledge of an organization. Well, and I think I, I was having a conversation this morning with someone, and we were talking about this that from a practitioner side, it used to be honestly, a little bit easier from a tech standpoint, because it was, you took mm -hmm. a more enterprise class approach to the tech. And it was like, we have this one thing and that's what we use. And now 
this whole ecosystem concept is is actually really blowing it up. And I don't think that's new. I think it was happening before. Yeah. I think there's more of an awareness that this idea that, oh, well, everything obviously happens here. Well, no, it doesn't. And now it's just blatantly obvious because like, well, we have 10 or 15 systems just internally that are managing all this stuff, let alone all this other stuff outside that people are doing. Mm -hmm. So with that, another question that I have, and I'm, I'm just interested in, you know, this is uh, when I had first started talking to you guys, I had, I'd ha I've had some conversations with you guys over the years. And one of the things that I found very interesting that I was actually surprised not more people are talking about this is, you know, and I think sometimes we run into this risk in learning is you know, we're so focused on the learning, like, well, what are, what's the learning? And we're not thinking about, okay, but what about the business intelligence and connecting the dots? And some of the people I've seen do the best with learning analytics is they're actually augmenting business intelligence with learning intelligence to tell a complete story because otherwise it's just, Hey, look, all these people are learning this stuff. So what, what does that do now? how does watershed or can watershed or an LRS in general kind of combine that too? Or are you using an LRS with a, a business intelligence system? How does that fit together? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Um, and the answer tends to be yes to both. Okay. Um, a lot of times, you know, when, when, when we work with an organization from a learning analytics perspective, there is always that goal of that. So what, you know, there is always in a reason behind what uh, certain learning programs are, are trying to achieve. So it's valuable to the to the learning team to understand details around those learning experiences and some of those metrics and analytics that really help them iterate and improve on, on their offerings and, and all of that valid information. But when they're looking at external stakeholders, being able to combine that with, with the relevant business information is really important and that does sometimes happen within watershed um, with the ability to take other systems and translate that data into the xapi format so then you're working within a single data store that has all of the information about the learning experiences and the the program that has been put together to drive some sort of behavior change and business outcome as well as metrics from some sort of operational system or a business system that continues to inform what has actually happened after the fact. How can we demonstrate some sort of, of quantifiable change or difference that, that we can then use as an opportunity to, to show not just that there was an impact, but mm -hmm. identify what drove that impact and how do we then iterate on that and, and create kind of a feedback loop to continue that uh, cycle of improvement. And so sometimes that happens within the LRS, within Watershed. Other times, um, that can be pushed to uh, to another BI tool as well. So that's part of the the value of having a consolidated data set where everything's in the same format. Is you have some flexibility and choice there. Uh, you know, from a, from a vendor perspective, we provide reporting and dashboarding analytics. But there's also large organizations that have their own data science teams and their own tool sets already. And and okay. that's an and example where we can we can push it and feed it that. as well. Yeah. Okay. So it really just depends on the situation or the maturity of where you're at from a data and analytics standpoint. Yeah. And and oftentimes we might, you know, our, our position within organizations tends to be, we might be the reporting analytics tool for the learning team. Okay. But if, if they're then collaborating with an, an internal analytics team within the organization, 
they're able to provide that data to them as well. So it's it's kind of a balance of both. Okay. Now is this, well, so two questions. First of all, one, you know, do you see a lot of organizations, because my experience has been not, it's it's kind of a new area for learning and development to really start thinking and taking a more analytical approach to things and actually thinking differently about measurement. Because I think with measurement, there tends to be a war about, you know, Kirkpatrick and well, well, level one is useless. You shouldn't, it doesn't matter if you're not capturing level four. And I think altogether, they tell a holistic story. You do need to pull them together. You need the data from the early stuff to feed your design teams and your, and your delivery teams say, Hey, if people hate it or it's not relevant, that's a problem. It's just not a problem. Right. Your business leaders necessarily care that much about you know, you get to the level four, you start talking those business pieces. But are you seeing, I mean, is this an opportunity area in L&D that yours, because you obviously work with a lot of organizations. Is this an opportunity area for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think the ability to start collecting more data makes that progression um a little bit more feasible when you know if we're using Kirkpatrick as an example, or, or just yeah. in general of of transitioning those metrics from more about learner reactions and experiences to you know attainment of knowledge, skill progression, behavior change, business impact. The more data you have, the more you can make that progression up that chain, and then be able to tell a more compelling story. Um, okay. And and. Funnily enough, I keep seeing more and more research. If we go back to the hot topic of data science, um, yeah. it's it those soft skills of being able to communicate that story and influence people with the data that you have is actually harder to find sometimes than the technical skills. And I think that's actually an opportunity area for people in learning who have experience in digital communication and building compelling stories. To, to take that same approach to their measurement and analytics. Um, that, you know, there might be a, a level of fear around the technical skill set required, but I actually think there's a great strength in some of those um, softer skills for, for people in our industry to really lean into that idea of telling of using this data to tell a compelling story. And you tell compelling stories by making them relevant to who you're speaking to. And that is where that business impact comes in, that behavioral change comes in, you know. For for your internal team, the learner reactions, like you said, they're important. If something is is going horribly, you value that information because you can react to it quickly. Um, but then when you're when you have external stakeholders and business partners, uh, there's different things that resonate with them. And so telling yeah. a compelling story a requires different some different data. Yeah, exactly. It's, a it's just a different it's a it's a different audience. It's a different profile. Um, whatever terminology you want to use, it's it's you know that's exactly it. Well, and I think that's I've seen this in my experience and in, in just in general is that people are nervous, right, on the technical side. They're like, ah, you know, I don't know a lot about data and analytics or things like that. But to your point, I completely agree. I think our storytelling skills, the skills we bring with how do we take information, construct it into a meaningful way, and then deliver that story. I think we actually have a lot of transferable skills that mm -hmm. could be actually used not only in learning, but that could help other data teams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I really agree. And I, that's, I try to, to 
use that as an opportunity to to get people or to, maybe not to yeah. get people to encourage them to, the to yeah really to get over the fear of you've got a good chunk of this skill set give the technical side a shot um you you don't need a phd to be able to to progress and, and build some of your own technical skills around data and analytics to really make an impact so what do you think about this though because this is one and i've had some heated debates with people about this topic is that uh you know, sometimes I think people are a little bit afraid in our industry to actually have the data. This is my perspective, and some people get pretty feisty about it. We're a little nervous about actually gathering and pulling all this data together because there's a little bit of a fear of, well, we've been saying, you know, all this stuff is doing these amazing things. What if we find out it's not? What if we actually find out what we did doesn't work? And I guess I'm interested if, you know, are you like, no, 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 that, that's not true. <laughs> Cause then we could have a heated debate about it if you want. I've, uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've seen that play out before um, okay. at organizations where they, they look back and even looking historically um, about, you know, initiatives that they've had over extended periods of time. And, and there is kind of that, it, it's a bit of a blow, that realization that, you know, the efforts didn't have the impact you thought or had hoped or expected that they had over time. Um, but I think there's, I, I think you're in a much worse situation if you ignore that, or if you avoid yeah. that possibility, you know, there's, you know, sticking with our bent of, of storytelling, you know, there's the old hero's journey and as, as kind of that storytelling trope and whether, you know, there's so many classic fiction novels that follow this hero's journey archetype. And there's, there's always points of failure right. and turning those points of failure into, well, I, I can honestly say we've been doing this thing and we thought it was working upon further analysis. We unfortunately realized it's not. If, if that's the end of the statement, that's uncomfortable. Yes. Um, it's, it's because this isn't working, we're going to try doing it in a different way via X, Y, or Z based upon what we saw. You are now essentially turning that into a learning experience and trying to to improve upon that and i think that is something to to aim for yeah. um but it, it I, you know there's there's not really a it can be a, scary a, right yeah it, it, it's it, a, it can be a, willingness it can be a gut to be punch okay to, to with kind failure. of yeah it's a good look in the mirror honestly and i think sometimes that's it we're afraid to look in the mirror and be like what if what we see isn't isn't as glossy as as what we've played up in our head and i mean to your point yeah what I've actually found with business leaders, and again, this is my personal experience, is it is the story that you tell, right? The business leaders, with some exceptions, right? They're out there. But most of the time, it's okay to say, hey, we, we failed. Like, we did this. We tried our best. We thought this was going to work. Turns out the data is telling us that's not it. But to your point, if that's where you stop, that's when you're going to get lit up. That's when it's yeah. like, okay, so you did all this and it failed. Now what? So I think it's right. that matter of saying, and as a result of that, we've identified this and this, and this is how we think we can, we yeah. can carry it forward. Yeah. And, and even on the kind of opposite end of that spectrum, there's been, you know, I've seen individuals and organizations, you know, take that risk and be willing to to invest in in evaluating this and an analytical approach and, and risk finding out they didn't make a difference 
But when they have made a difference and the ability to have that data and tell a valid uh, right. backed up confident story about the difference they made, like feels so great. It really does. And uh, just anecdotally, one story we had an organization we worked with, um, their head of learning was so excited about the fact that their quantifiable impact and their kind of the, the measurement of their program and the impact it had was elevated to the point where it was in the um, end of year fiscal investor report. Wow. As as you know, this initiative within the organization uh, was based around this business problem. This is what they did to solve it, and this was the quantifiable impact that it had on our operations. And and that level of appreciation and visibility was you know was was huge. You know, both at an organizational level and an individual level, the people who worked on that felt great about it. It was oh, yeah. you know, it's, I would it's, imagine it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, so there's there's the there's the risk of the the kind of disappointment or gut punch if it doesn't work, but there's also a huge opportunity for for greater excitement and greater validation when you can show that it is. But isn't that true of everything, right? Exactly. I mean, the whole yeah. Statement: No risk, no reward. So right. if if you just play the status quo, you might play it safe, but you're also never really going to win. You're just going to kind of survive. So, yeah. Interesting. So one question from uh, Apurva, she asked this and and I've got my thoughts and, and we can kind of go back and forth a little bit and actually leads me to another question I was going to ask. Um, you know, what are your thoughts about NPS or how does watershed, you know, or just you NPS scores for learning initiatives? And we've kind of hit on it, but I think we can have a good discussion about that. Yeah. I So I, I think they are a good measure with the caveat. And that is that um, they're, they're still kind of that learner satisfaction and reaction type of metric. So it, it can be a good early indicator of something going wrong, um, or it can be, a, a, it, it's a good early indicator. The challenge with NPS is that it generally is done at the, at the conclusion of yeah. an experience. And if you're looking for immediate feedback, immediate reactions, you want that sooner um, because that that way you can act on it. Um, so a, a lot of it comes down to maybe how it's implemented. Um, if you have a rolling program and you're continuously evaluating that NPS, you can react to it if it's positive or negative, um, much in the same way you would a, a, a standard kind of reaction survey. I think it has maybe more validity than a reaction survey, but... Um, it, it still has its limitations. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I think you've, you've kind of hit on it. And I think what I would add to it is right. It's, it's not wrong. It's just incomplete. Right. It's, mm -hmm. it's, and I think too often that's where we stop. And to me, that's always mm -hmm. the issue. It's like, well, it's not wrong that we're getting that data. It's meaningful data. Like you said, it feeds an important thing, but if that's where you end, well, right. okay. You know, so what? Um, you know, the other thing, and that's an interesting point you bring up about where it lands, right? And where you have it is that, you know, when I've seen it so frequently, and this requires kind of a twofold change if you're going to shift it up in the cycle, because if you bring it in earlier, you have to think differently about how you're designing and, and implementing this stuff. Because a lot of times, like you said, not only is it at the end, but you've already invested all your resources and time and all this stuff, because we're trying to get it perfect before we put it out there. 
And then it's like, well, now what do you do if they say uh, it really wasn't that helpful? Or I, w it's like, well, too late. We kind of already made Thanksgiving dinner, so, so sorry. <laughs> like, that's what you're going to have to eat, even yeah. if you're allergic to everything on the table. Too bad. Versus right. kind of the more. And again, we're talking buzzwords, but more the design thinking agile approach of like, well, let's try things, see, adapt and go. Yeah. And and I I really agree with that. And and whether you use an agile methodology or or even just kind of a, a decision making framework of incorporating the measurement and evaluation into the design process, um, it's not something that should just happen at the end because the whole reason to do it is to act on the information. Right. Uh, and if you don't have the information until everything is already delivered and complete, you're inherently kind of robbing it of its value. Yeah. Um, not that you couldn't use that information for a future project that might be similar. You certainly can. Uh, but really the goal is to, to try and uh, get as much early indication as you can about what's what's working and what's not. Yeah, I mean, it, it can help feed things. But when you're going to the business leaders and saying, so we've already spent six figures on this initiative and we've bought, yeah. bought in all these resources, turns out it wasn't really that great. But don't worry, mm -hmm. next time we're going to we're going to get it right. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> OK, <laughs> that's an, that's the uncomfortable conversation we were talking mm -hmm. about. Exactly. So, so with this, right, the, the other thing that, that that question led me to is, you know, you think about this from a digital standpoint and you look at the VHS technology that we've been using so often in many of our digital platforms and, and tools, we get, you know, complete, incomplete, pass, fail. I don't know, or, you know, how do you handle that then with, with customers where that is their data set? Because putting that in a fancy you know platform that that can do all this stuff but all it's telling us is in a more compelling way that lots of people did things or lots of people failed how do people start that journey to move then from okay we have pass fail data now we have pass fail data in an interesting format but how do you take that beyond that then yeah so Part of that, there's there's a couple of different ways in which that can happen. One is, you know, using that as a starting point, just kind right. of in the same way we've been talking about the the progression of um, learner reactions up to you know knowledge gain, behavior change, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's still a, a level of fidelity around, you know, did they complete it? Did they pass it? We think maybe they've learned something. Um, there's then kind of an expectation expectation of, of how else can they demonstrate that knowledge. And now you have that pass fail, um, complete score duration, et cetera, and can have that in the same format and aligned to another set of data, maybe from another system where you might have more insight into skill development or behavior change okay. and can then kind of use that to tell that story of, we see this progression from passing this to demonstrating a skill to changing behavior, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's kind of that consistency of the data now in that format where it can be really helpful. Some other ways in which we've seen that is even if you're only looking at, you know, completion, pass, fail, score, duration, but you might have nine different content providers okay. that your yeah. organization is subscribed to. Um, 
simply having that consistent across all of those. And now you have the, the really easy ability to see, I don't really care what system you're using. I care about your experience in the content. So we might have duplicate courses or we might have uh, not duplicate, but just spread across all of these systems. I, I can see it at an aggregate and holistic level uh, in one kind of view what that looks like regardless of, of all of the different tools or platforms that are available at the organization. And then there's kind of a, so those are kind of examples of breadth. There's also organizations that take a depth approach and that okay. might be um, even, you know, all of my historical experiences, they, I have, you know, I'm a large organization. I've got tens of thousands of SCORM packages in my LMS. I'm not going to go back and modify every single one of those to get more data out of it. It's just yeah. not feasible or realistic. But what I do have is a new major initiative that we have an entire team putting a lot of hours and development work into, and this is going to go out to thousands and thousands of people. Okay. And I want to be able to get greater detail into how people are interacting with and experiencing this. Um, both for internal, my, my team yeah. and our business stakeholders. Um, and that's an opportunity to, to focus more narrowly and, and use this as an opportunity to think about, you know, what can this um, uh, availability of more data uh, give me access to and give me insight into. And so basically, instead of just those four core data points of, you know, pass fail completion score duration, I can now go into an in detail, think about what matters to me, what is important to me, um, what quick insights do I want? You know, if we're talking about reactions and NPS scores, how can I start to build in things that help to measure that within the experience itself and yeah. then can maybe have a more intelligent experience as we go? So that's kind of another opportunity to, to add depth. Um, and you can still do that, you know, within um, a learning management system, or if, if you're, you know, however you're delivering it, um, that's part of the value in and of itself is it can be a SCORM package. It can not be a SCORM package. There's more flexibility in delivery. Um, so, you know, you can take this, this one thing that you're already going to spend a lot of attention on and, and get more insights out of it. Okay. Cause I think that's when I think about it from an enterprise standpoint, that can feel overwhelming, right? If you're like, Oh yeah. my gosh, you know how many e-learnings we have? If we have to go back and, and rebuild, repackage, like, ugh, like that can feel yeah. very overwhelming versus, all right, look, it is what it is. Yeah. But let's start here and, and move forward. Now that said, you have, I mean, I, I have to imagine then there's still that element of, if you're going to take full advantage of this, that is a push for your designers, for you know the, the decisions you make on who you're you're getting your content from and things like that to be able to say, hey, you know, can you? We need to change the way we do it because if we keep creating VHS tapes, it's not going to help us. Maybe it's time we move to, you know, streaming something like uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, you get it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I do, and and that. You know, that can definitely be, you know, uh, a, a challenge in terms of, of tweaking a skill set or um, as, a, as a designer or, or anyone building learning experiences, um, new approaches, new ways of thinking. Um, I will, I'll give a quick shout out to um, an organization that I've seen do some really cool things focusing on XAPI. 
Okay. Um, Megan Torrance at Torrance Learning okay. has a quarterly XAPI cohort that she runs, which is essentially an opportunity for people in the, the learning industry to work with their peers and get access to, to new tools, um, you know, from a lot of vendors provide free access for, for a time and pick a project for a quarter. I want to do this thing with Captivate for, you know, this use case and okay. how can XAPI be used? So it, it's developing that skill set. It's showing how it works. It's validating that it's possible. Um, and you work with your peers. It's a great learn by doing approach that they facilitate. Um, it, it's called the XAPI cohort. And I think it's a great place for, for people who are, are designers or are delivering these learning experiences and, and want a hands-on approach to learning what is happening with some of these technologies. It's really great. Awesome. Well, if Megan's watching or she sees it later, yeah, comment on it or tag it in. Or uh, if you have a link to it afterwards, you can send it sure. to me and we'll include it in there so people can do that. Because I do think right, I've talked to a lot of designers who are starting to make um, you know, the shift to XAPI. And I know, you know, Melissa over at Amazon does a lot to try and help design. She's another great resource yeah, out there. She she is. Her content is pretty fantastic. Work on helping bring people into this this new age with stuff. How about this one? This is where we're getting a little futuristic on it. Because a lot of, I think, the measurement that we look at is consumption of content. You know, how did people, how much time did they spend in it? How did they answer the questions? And that's valuable, right? Again, just like NPS scores, it can be valuable, but doesn't necessarily always tell us the ability, you know, can somebody actually do anything with that? Now, are you seeing people, and this was probably a, a very small subset of things, do you find people are also using XAPI or some of these emerging technologies to be able to capture data on how people are actually performing, you know, and actually executing on these things versus just what they're doing to acquire the knowledge on it? Yeah, we do. Um, I, I won't say it, it's a blanket statement that we see everyone doing that because yeah. it's it's a progression. You know, it's it's the the more advanced organizations that we've worked with who have maybe had more time or um, expertise to to build this out within their organization. But we have seen organizations do that successfully, and it's been really fascinating to see. You know, as an example. Um, let you know if we if we take an example of an organization we worked with where they had a, a high visibility program launched around basic business finance, and that was mapped to specific competencies that they were trying to improve. So so how do we how do we understand how we're improving people's financial acumen and these different skill sets? So using technology like XAPI to to get a better understanding of what they're doing within their learning experiences, but then also understanding every single one of these learning experiences is designed to influence a particular competency. Yeah. And each of those competencies is related to a particular business objective as well. And those business objectives can be described in specific operational KPIs. Okay. And so then using this as an opportunity to look at, um, how are they engaging in those learning experiences and how are they performing in those learning experiences? How does that relate to a quantifiable expression of their competencies then? Exactly. And taking that a step further, and in this, in this example, actually looking at some of their operational metrics from their SAP platform, telling that complete story of now we have these the, the competencies tied to these business objectives, expressing those as the trends within SAP, 
and looking back at, you know, are our competencies valid? You know, do okay. we see, you know, from the learning we perspective on this, we focused on this. Did it actually right. translate to an impact on what we thought it was going to do? Exactly. And, and then not just stopping there kind of to what yeah. we've been talking about of using it as a feedback loop, then taking that as an opportunity of, we thought we improved this person's competency because they performed really well on all of the learning opportunities associated with it. But after X time period, we haven't actually seen that translate into their business okay. metrics. So let's go back. So, so now, so now we can have, uh, what they did was they then had targeted one-on-one -on -one coaching opportunities okay. with their, their direct management team. So now the management team can have a one-on-one -on -one coaching session and know specifically what this person has learned, but is not applying the way they thought they would. Uh, so, so really have those targeted interventions after the fact and kind of just continue that as a cycle was, is, is one example of an organization we've seen be really successful with it. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, it goes back to the fact that this helps us tell a story of why we're doing what we're doing. And I like, you know, the ability, that's the part that fascinates me the most about it is the ability to tell a data-driven story of why did we do this? And, you know, we talk about the fact that, oh, learning and development needs to be more proactive and less reactive. It's like, well, the only way you do that is by having data on what's going on so you can see mm -hmm. it and say, that's the real problem or that's that's where there's a gap. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the other thing that I think will be interesting, you know, over time, and, and I'll, I'll, I'm curious, you know, if you guys are tapping into this yet, but part of what I'm so excited about with some of these more immersive technologies like VR, AR, you know, natural language processing is the data we can capture on people actually performing something, you know, actually mm -hmm. doing something and how long did it take them to complete this task or, you know, how many mistakes did they make before they did that? And they're actually doing it. And I have to imagine then that's a lot of these new technologies are built on XAPI so that we can actually get that data in a meaningful way. Absolutely. You know, that that's like a perfect example of, you know, the the, the standard or specification, the industry data model just doesn't translate to those experiences at all. No. There's so much rich information that can inform you about how people are actually behaving in those simulations and those, you know, scenario-based environments that is, is informative of how they're applying what they've learned or what they're learning in those experiences and an in, in opportunity to, to collect that data and be able to relate it to other experiences is is really powerful. Cool. So so let's talk about this. We've got we've got this one slide up. You know, I know I told you I hate slides, but <laughs> this was one that was valuable because sure. I have to imagine I've seen it, I've talked to people, it makes sense to me, but I have to imagine some people who are going to watch this later or watching now might be like, okay, that's cool, but how on earth does that fit? And we've got all these different platforms. How does that fit? So I'm I'll go ahead and pull it up, but Talk a little bit about sure. how Watershed fits into the digital ecosystem. Yeah, so kind of what we are seeing here is, is the digital university built by Visa. And your PR you people are gonna freak out about this, right? <laughs> they are not. This okay, is this good. is something they this is something they built. So this isn't this isn't <laughs> a, a watershed image. This is a visa image that they've told us we can use. Um and so kind of in that sense, you can see where you may not even be able to read what they all actually say on your screen, but every little blue box is a different platform that contributes to their digital university, to their learning ecosystem. Um, and so trying to, to find ways to, to integrate all of those 
they've taken two approaches, one more on the front end with the learner experience and one more on the back end with the data and aggregation. So you can see on the back end there, they're using Watershed as the LRS to have a, a, a kind of a seamless system of record across all however many platforms they're using. Um, it's actually, me personally, I've seen this image develop and change over the last couple of years where you know, there's a version of this image from 18 months ago where there's half as many tools here because having the data in a single format stored in a single location gives them the flexibility to add and remove platforms and tools as they need to, as they see fit, it makes that transition easier for them as an organization. Um, and then on the front end, you can see they're, they're kind of trying to, to solve that integration and, and user experience with a, a learning experience platform as well. So it's, it's kind of uh, tackling similar problems from, from different points of view, one from a, uh, an experience-based point of view, another from a, from a data-based point of view. Um, so Visa here, you know, really is, is using XAPI to capture data about all of these learning experiences across their entire digital university. Uh, you can also see here, as we mentioned earlier, there is reporting and analytics capabilities that we provide at Watershed that is often used um, within the, the learning and development teams at a lot of our clients. But once again, having that consolidated data set provides an opportunity to then push that uh, to another larger part of the organization where they also have their own data science team and uh, watersheds pushing our consolidated learning data to their data warehouse, which they're then using Tableau on top of. Um, so kind of providing that flexibility and that opportunity there from an analytics perspective um, is 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 part of how how watershed and the LRS fits in this ecosystem as well. Okay, okay. So with this, and, and I guess one point of clarification before I ask the next question that I think yeah. is an important one, well, I guess there's two little ones. Um, one is that you know from an LRS standpoint, from the end user, I think sometimes people, when they start seeing these ecosystems, they're like, oh, the learner's going to be so confused by all this stuff. The goal of this is that they're not seeing this complexity. They're not experiencing all yes. the complexity of this stuff to them. It's a seamless user experience. This is just all behind the scenes that's capturing all this, aggregating it and putting it together in a meaningful way. Yes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the the learner likely has no idea, even the brands of all of those small blue boxes behind all of this. They just know that they, you know, in this instance, they're using Pathgather, which was acquired by degree. Um, so they just know that they're going to that they just location. Know they're going there and then all yeah. the stuff's here. And then LRS is sitting underneath, just pulling all this stuff in yeah. into one place that you can see. And, and what's even kind of unique about XAPI in that sense is um, the learner has that flexibility. There might be examples where um, I log into a learning experience platform and have access to content from Git Abstract and LinkedIn Learning within our learning experience platform. I might also be able to access that directly through Git Abstract and LinkedIn Learning's websites, just directly going to that URL and I can authenticate in. So uh, regardless of how I navigate to that, I have that freedom to do to access it however I want. And at the end of the day, wherever I access those experiences, the okay. data is gonna end up in the learning record store. Okay. So I, I have another one, but before I get to it, Thomas asked a question and I'm actually really curious because I'm, I would love to be the person that said, yes, I've already done this, but I'm not yet. Um, you know, have you had somebody who has had 
you know, like a Microsoft HoloLens experience, and then that data has fed back either through an LMS or through XAPI. Do you have anybody doing it? You don't have to name names, but I'm just curious no, if that's people fine. are doing it. I don't know of anyone using HoloLens, unfortunately. What we what we have seen is, you know, we've just done some internal prototyping at Watershed right. with with uh, simpler tools, you know, just something as simple as Google Cardboard. Um, okay. When when you're looking at you know from a development perspective, there is XAPI support within Unity, for example. So just about anything that you build using Unity can generate XAPI data. Um, and we've also seen um, you know efforts from uh, I'm trying to to think about how to describe this in an appropriately vague way without getting too specific. Um, <laughs> I'll just say, um, you know, when we think about applications of virtual reality, they're typically yeah. replacing a really expensive piece of equipment or, or something like that, yep. that you're trying to educate someone on. So if we think of a, a flight simulator, for example, the opportunity there to, to use virtual reality as a replacement for some of that and generate more data, we have seen organizations do um, from a flight simulation perspective within virtual reality, uh, not via HoloLens, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it's but, some sort but, of um, so there are some people. Yeah, exactly. Like, big, yeah. big, heavy equipment, things like that, you know, where yeah. it's too expensive to actually let somebody go play around yeah. with the real thing. Yeah. And, and part of the difficulty in answering that directly is the flexibility of XAPI. Um, you know, if, if, if I think of Unity as a code base uh, or as a platform versus the actual delivery mechanism of yes. the, the VR headset, it's just like uh, your authoring tool versus your LMS. There's different ways to generate that data. So I don't know if anyone's actually done it with HoloLens, but I know that there's lots of people that use Unity to create immersive content okay. and generate XAPI data. They are feeding that data back. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. So yeah, product. Yeah. And that's where you get into these immersive technologies. It's, it is more complex than just, oh, I'll go buy an off the shelf this. It's like, well, you, you've got the hardware, you've got the code it's actually built on, you've got the platform that made it, all that stuff. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this, because going back to the visual here, right? I, sure. Having worked in the IT <laughs> integration side, it looks easy, right? Like, yeah, you have all these things and we just sit right on top of it. How, talk to me a little bit about that because I think there is probably a little bit of a he healthy degree of skepticism around. Sure. You don't know how many platforms we have. And, you know, and we talked about this before we came live on, well, what if our platforms don't, aren't compatible with Watershed? How do you, how do you tackle that? How do you answer that one? Yeah. So, so that's a great question because, there is, it, it, I won't say it's easy uh, because it's not, it, it takes time and effort and, and you kind of build as you go. You know, as an example, I, I mentioned with that Visa ecosystem a year or two ago, there were fewer, there were fewer boxes that were a part of it. That's, it's reached that point over a couple of years time. Um, so it takes time and effort. It's not just, you know, Visa started working with Watershed and 30 days later, they had everything you saw in that diagram. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> that is not the case. What's yeah. um, well, a and, right? And, it's a healthy thing, yeah. myth to bust. That's like you don't just buy of LRS and and poof, you've got a magic data set all put together. Yeah, totally. Um, and and that's it, it's always a process. Whether we're looking at you know the the example of I've got thousands of legacy courses that I don't want to translate to XAPI, 
Um, so, so we, we look at opportunities for where is that data being generated? Um, you know, just like you mentioned, there's, there's the software development platform or the delivery platform. So is it, can we get it from an authoring tool or an LMS? Can we get it from unity or, um, a delivery platform? Um, so in that sense, everything, not everything, there are kind of inflection points of looking at where we going to get this data from how are we going to um so there's some flexibility and, and opportunity there and then also from strictly from an xapi perspective um it's growing in adoption in an exciting way we're seeing some some really big well-known tools um iterate on their support for it and and build on that to make it more robust but not every tool supports it today that's the okay. reality. And so that's part of where we at, at Watershed specifically try to provide um, both services and product functionality okay. that helps translate data into an XAPI format. Um, so in that sense, we're not, um, we're not beholden to XAPI or, or to, a, to a vendor supporting XAPI in that sense. Um, okay. There's different ways that we can get data um, and at the end of the day, it's going to be stored in an XAPI format. And that way you can kind of build over time to more tools supporting it, to having more of those live uh, or, or near real-time data feeds via XAPI being sent to your LRS. Okay. And it's kind of a, a progression to that point. Now, is that, is that, and I know we're coming up, you know, close to time here, but I have, I've got, and I've got one big question for you after this, but <laughs> is that then something, cause sometimes that can feel overwhelming. I can tell you that from sitting in the chair where mm -hmm. it's like, okay, that's fine. But does like, now do I have to go source somebody else to help us through that? Is that something? So yes, you have the platform, but do you also have the capability and capacity then to help an organization through that transition and help them do that? Or is that something else they have to also figure out? So that's something we will help them figure out and can support them through that transition. Um, many times we are supporting, you know, large organizations through that transition and partnering with their, their learning teams and also partnering with their internal IT teams. Um, because that's, that's where you get into the different stakeholders and, and people who can really help out within the organization. Um, and we, we, you know, it, it's kind of crazy to think about all the people we partner with because there's the learning organization, there's the yeah, IT organization. It's, it's also all the vendors. You know, we yeah. we have relationships with so many vendors that we work with um, because um, it helps us. You know, it helps both us as Watershed and the other technology providers that we're working with to collaborate to provide the value for our end client organizations that they expect. Um, so there, that there is, mean, that doesn't mean that as part of that, you're coming in saying, Hey, we also need to change all the platforms that you're using or right. change that. It's just, you have those partnerships to be able to say, Hey, we can, we can work with these. Yeah, exactly. And, and for the vast majority of the organizations we work with, we, we do a lot of that kind of support and consultative type, um, of management of that. But then there's also a couple of examples where we partner with other, you know, large enterprise technology services providers uh, where necessary to, to deliver that. Okay. So here's, right, here's the mic drop one. And I'm, and I'm very curious about this is in this space, right? Watershed is not the only LRS and actually a lot mm -hmm. of, you know, LMS is now are saying, well, we also have an LRS on the back end. And even, you know, when I was posting about this, someone commented that, 
you know, there's, yeah, there's LRS and then there's like what waters, how do you differentiate yourself or how do, when yeah. somebody says, Hey, why watershed? What is that, you know, unique asset that you bring to the table? Yeah. Um, I think I even noticed that question in one of the, the earlier posts, um, around, you know, in LRS, as opposed to what watershed completely provides, which yeah. is why I was even intentionally narrow in how I defined an LRS at the beginning of our conversation. Um, it, cause it's just a place to store data in a particular for format. You know, it, it stores data with some rules around how it stores that data. So from what watershed provides, there's a whole level of scalability built around that data store, as well as analytics and reporting capabilities okay. and data validation capabilities. Um, and, uh, so if we look at some of the integrations that we have, one thing that I didn't touch on from that, uh, that diagram with Visa was also integrating with Workday, their HRIS okay. system, so that they're able to scale dashboarding and reporting across their org and apply different group permissions, different data permissions. That's a, a big value for some of our global enterprise clients is the ability to build a dashboard once and deploy it globally and know that it's going to react uh, in context to who's accessing it. So when someone in Germany views this data set, they're not seeing personally identifiable information as opposed yeah. to when someone in New York views it, they can see personally identifiable information and that's all based on their organizational and group structure and the data permissions that that then um, deploys across, across watershed. So um, in that sense, you know, there's, there's a lot more than just an LRS that yeah. we as watershed provide from a reporting and analytics standpoint. There's also, um, you know, some event processing and, and workflows that are the newest thing that we're working on. So the ability to uh, not be an endpoint for data, but to also be a point to uh, initiate new actions in other systems. Uh, so if, if we're, you know, listening for a benchmark across two or three different platforms and when that benchmark is hit, notify those other systems that this thing has occurred somewhere else and that system wants to do something about it. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot more from that um, standpoint it's, it's an on top of the LRS. Yeah, right. Because that's, yeah, that's, a, that's a misnomer is that, oh, an LRS is an LRS is an LRS. And it's like, no, an LRS is right. just the, the data spot yeah you know, it's, exactly it's what do we do with that data and that's where i've seen platforms that are like oh yeah we have an lrs it's like right but the platform doesn't allow you really to do anything with it because it's just all in the background and so right. it's not necessarily providing you with the same level of value yeah absolutely perfect well hey i this has been fun we probably could sit and talk for much longer, maybe have have a Guinness um, if we do it later in the day. It's a little early, a little early to start there. But yeah. um, I really appreciate you being here, Tim. This has been awesome. Um, you know, for people who are watching and are interested, you can reach out to me or, or if you reach out to Watershed, you know, make sure you heard about it through Learning Tech Talks um, and get more questions answered. I know we just don't have the time to go into the depth you know, that we, we could if we spent an entire day doing this. But uh, I, I'd love to have you back, you know, maybe as we continue to see how how watershed's evolving in the in the future landscape of things. So thanks for being yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. This has been really great. And um, yeah, happy to, to answer any further questions if anyone reaches out to either of us for sure. All right, sounds good. Well, happy Friday and have a fantastic weekend. Thanks everybody for watching and we will see you next week.